Welcome to this special episode of Digging Deeper, a podcast hosted by 4constructionpros.com. I'm Jonathan, and today I'm sharing my interview profiling one of the country's largest family-owned crushed aggregate and environmental performance producers, Luck Companies. I'm joined by Travis Juning, Vice President of Engineering and Operational Support at Luck Stone, and Ryan Emmons, Vice President of Information Technology. Luck Companies is a celebrating their 100 year anniversary in 2023. And I was lucky enough to connect with them to see if I could find out the secret to their success. If you're interested, they share their history at www.luckcompanies100.com. Recently, Charlie Luck, president and CEO of Luck Companies, was honored by this National Stone, Sand, and Gravel Association with the 2023 Barry K. Went Memorial Commitment Award and the Rock Pack Paul Mellet Jr. Award for Political Excellence. The NSSGA presented these awards during their annual convention in Las Vegas this March. I'll post a link to the announcement in the description on forconstructionpros.com. Without further ado, here's my interview. Yeah, so my name is Travis Tuning, um, the Vice President of Engineering and Operational Support here at Luxstone. Uh, worked for Luxstone for 24 years, and uh, happy to be here with you. Yep, so I'm, my name is Ryan Emmons. Uh, I'm the Vice President of Information Technology uh, here at Luck Companies. Actually just celebrated uh, my 18-year anniversary last week, uh, so pretty crazy that it's already been that long, uh, but I lead the lead the IT department here. I uh, got a background in engineering. I've had the privilege of working with Travis uh, numerous times over that 18 year career. Uh, and excited to join you today as well. Yeah, I would say we're uh, we're fortunate, and uh, we'll get into this a little bit more here in a minute. But uh, fortunate that we're a family family owned and operated uh, area company and celebrating mm-hmm. our hundred year anniversary, which is exciting for us. Um. Probably the most notable is we're, we're really fortunate to be led by Charlie Luck. Uh, Charlie's he's third generation uh, family owner in the business, very active, currently our CEO. Um, and his son, Richard, uh, Richard Luck, is uh, coming to the business, has been in the business for six or seven years, uh, currently in a, in a vice president role of what we call our Central South region. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to just have owners that are active in the business, care about the business and, and really actively engaged. We're, we're, we're really pretty fortunate. Sure. Where are you guys kind of located? Where's the headquarters? So as Travis said, 100 year anniversary founded in 1923, but we are we are just west of Richmond, Virginia in, in Goochland County. That's where our main corporate office is. Awesome. Have, have you always been in that location in that entire 100 years of history? Probably not this exact location. I think our very first uh, site back in 1923 was actually closer to downtown Richmond. Um, I'm actually not sure how long we've been in this location, but it's at least been, I don't know, probably 40, 50 years, Travis, would you say? Absolutely. Yep. That's st- still a significant chunk of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many uh, How many employees does uh, Luck have in total? Uh, so we're sitting right around 1,000 associates uh, at the moment. Oh, so you're a small company then, huh? <laughs> all, all about perspective, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. Wow. But yeah, you've wow. got Cap One up the street who I don't I think they're like eighty thousand or something. So it's uh it's small in comparison. It just depends on where you're sitting. Sure. Yeah, if that's I'm, funny. If I'm, when I when I started in the business, it was uh the company was like two hundred and fifty people. So at the time, I thought that was, you know, that was really small. And uh, man, to see us grow from 250 to where we are today, it's been it's been pretty, pretty exciting. So, Sure, sure. If I'm understanding the business um, divisions correctly, Luxstone is the um, the aggregate producer. What what type of materials are you like producing and what type of aggregate is being made into? Is it asphalt or is it concrete? Yeah, and Jonathan, you're, you're, you're right. And um, Luck Companies as a whole, we have multiple business units. Luck Stone is, is one of the, it's the largest business unit that we have. 
Uh, Luxstone is in the uh, crushed stone or aggregate business. Um, we serve uh, a variety of industries, you know, typical construction industries. Uh, a lot of our customers are in asphalt, concrete, road builders, site contractors, commercial builders. Um, yeah, the way we think about it is if you think about anything that kind of builds a community, builds a school, you know, it takes aggregates, you know, either in the product or around or underneath the product to, to, make, uh, to make our communities what they are. Um, we, we produce a lot of that aggregate from, uh, I guess, hard rock quarries. You know, it's a variety of granites and dye bases and, you know, a variety of hard rock materials that, that our operations typically uh, operate in. Uh, we also we have one sand and gravel business. I know other aggregate producers may have more in the sand and gravel in our particular markets. Um, <clears throat> there are sand and gravel producers, but not as many. It's not as predominant. Um, but we do have one sand and gravel operation that we work in. And then, um, you know, one of our other business units that's uh, always kind of interesting is uh, we have a, a business unit we call Luck Ecosystems. And uh, Luck Ecosystems is another really interesting one. It was really Luck Ecosystem was was originally born from we had a lot of waste overburden at one of our sites that uh, we didn't have room for and we didn't really know what to do with. And over the period of about a 10 to 15 year window uh, in working with uh, some folks down in Virginia Tech, professors down there, and then also working with some folks within the company that were pretty innovative. Um, it started with just creating a, a, a really good, high quality topsoil that had good quality control, had a good recipe to it. And it really was a great growing media. And that, that's where we started out of our Green County operation and uh, moving a lot of our overburden offsite as a really nice high-end topsoil. And then that grew into a, a whole, uh, a, much, a much broader business concept where we started to get into biofilter material, which is used to clean up stormwater in a lot of construction jobs. Um, we also got into streambed restoration stone. Got we're really active in a lot of streambed restoration work. Uh, there's something called imbricated riprap that we produce quite a bit of. Um, it also that also goes into a lot of shoreline protection or streambed restoration work. Um, and then um, through the ecosystems business, we also started getting into a lot of specialty kind of sports or recreation related materials. So a lot of infield ball mixes for like softball and baseball fields, warning track material, golf course sands, et cetera. So um, in addition to our Luxstone business, that's you know probably one of our bigger uh, bigger parts of Luck companies. Luck Ecosystems is another one that's uh, pretty interesting, but very related to the to the core business. You have the stone and the soil side of construction. Correct. <laughs> Correct. How how much um, are you producing annually? Uh, I'd say generally, you know, our footprint covers from Virginia down to Georgia between all of our operations. And, you know, we're somewhere north of 20 million tons a year is our typical, typical annual production. On the, on the stone side? On the stone side. Wow. It, can you put it in that perspective for me? Is that like uh, on average for a company your size or is? Yeah, I'd say in perspective for a company are, I would say for a family owned company in the aggregate industry, we're on the larger side. Uh, I think we are the largest family owned and operated uh, aggregate company in the United States. Um, I would say majority of our operations, we're really fortunate to be in, in, in really good markets and have great customer base. So, you know, I would say for the equivalent number of quarries, it's probably on the, on the slightly higher end, you know, um, but uh, but overall, you know, our uh, the production tons that that we do annually is, uh, I would say, recognizable in the industry. Sure, it's, it sounds like you're kicking some butt. It's been great. <laughs> what what kind of brands and machinery are are you guys using to put out so much so much numbers? Yeah, it's uh that's a really loaded question. Uh, we we use a a, a wide variety of equipment. Um, you know, I think when we break down and think about our equipment, we think about it through the, the stationary components. That's a lot of our screens and crushers and conveyors and feeders. And then we think about it on the mobile equipment side, you know, with uh, loaders and trucks and excavators and uh, that sort of equipment. 
you know, on the, on the mobile equipment side, you know, we're really fortunate to have some, some great suppliers, you know, Caterpillar being a, a significant one for us. Uh, we also um, have uh, John Deere equipment as well as Komatsu equipment in the business. Um, and then on the, the stationary equipment side, the, the list gets much longer. And a lot of those uh, suppliers, you know, the, the, the folks listening to the podcast may or may not know them, but, you know, certainly, you know, Dyster, Sandvik, Metso, um, McClanahan, uh, it's a, it's a variety of suppliers for us. Sure. Sure. Have you guys, uh, did you guys attend like con expo at all this year? Uh, I don't think Ryan and neither Ryan or I did. We had the opportunity to attend a, a different show this year. We attended the, the consumer electronics show, which was a little different and pretty unique. Oh, there is. Oh, that's cool. interesting. Um, and that was, uh, we, we were able to be there alongside and support Cat. Cat was making their debut at the Consumer Electronics Show. So that was, that was pretty exciting. Uh, but as a company, we certainly had uh, a lot of representation out at uh, Con Expo as well. And, and sure. always do. Sure. Sure. Kind of, we, we, we mentioned a, a bit about your history, the 100 years of, of being in business. It's a family-owned business. Um, apart from that, what makes luck companies unique i think i mean to me i think the thing that is most unique about us as an organization is is definitely the mission of the company and so our our mission is igniting human potential and so we're we're a company that is really all about people and we crush rock and so we like to say like the company's built on the belief that people are really our purpose and that every one of us in the organization has uh, the potential to make a positive impact and so believe that you take care of your people, they're going to take care of you. So we just got this really cool history of like caring for our people and, and being incredibly innovative. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll add on to what Ryan commented there, you know, I could not agree more. And what I love about it is in addition to this, you know, uh, just insane focus on our people. We also, because we're family owned and we're in the, the aggregates business, you know, we're really fortunate. I love, you know, with a mining engineering background, you know, my, my background is in, you know, greenfielding and trying to find new operations. And then, and then also just trying to design how to open them. And when you do that, you have to think about design and, and, and the work through, you know, a lens of 25, 50, a hundred year kind of, uh, kind of lens. And as a company, we're really fortunate in that our owners think about the company and run the company through a, a generational lens. You know, they're constantly thinking about how do we set the next generation up for success. So when you have this company that's like insanely focused on our people, have a huge, you know, uh, desire to to innovate, to both get better and create cool opportunities for our people, and then on top of that, to be able to think about a business not in a quarterly sense but in a generational sense. Um, I think all that combined makes it a really cool place to work and incredibly unique. What can you tell me about the company's history? Uh, why do you think they started the company back 100 years ago? So yeah, Luck, Luck Companies was uh, started, it was actually called Sunnyside Granite Company uh, here in Richmond, Virginia, 1923, and just had 20 associates. And so because this is the 100 year anniversary, we've gotten to hear all these really cool stories uh, you know, from way back when. And so literally they were crushing stone with sledgehammers and they were loading it onto by hand, loading by hand onto these mule-driven carts uh, to transport it out of the quarry. And so like oh, wow. a, good, a good day back then, they were producing like 100 tons. And so then, you know, 100 years later, as Travis said, it's like we're the nation's largest family-owned and operated uh, producer of, of crushed stone, sand, and gravel. Uh, so super cool to be able to hear the, the whole story over the last 100 years. And so I think initially when they started it, it was, you know, to supply uh, crushed stone for what was called CS Luck and Sons. They had a construction company uh, doing a lot of road building. Um, but I think ultimately why they did it is just their passion for people and just passion for the construction industry uh, in itself. I know I know. there's a pun of having a good solid foundation there. Um, I can't really put the words to it yet. <laughs> well, like built on rock, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there it is. That's, that's, that's why I like speaking to you. <laughs> What uh, in that history, um, what kind of challenges have been overcome? There's so much has happened over the last hundred years. Yep. Yes. I mean, we were we were thinking about this uh, yesterday and it's like companies been around a long time. So, I mean, survived the Great Depression, 
You got both world wars in there. Um, mm-hmm. We were reading about how Hurricane Agnes, it was in 72, you know, came in and hit the mid-Atlantic and actually completely flooded our basketball quarry. Uh, and then you've got the Great Recession, you know, back in 08. Uh, but the one that I think is most uh, recent and relevant to all of us was the, the pandemic. So that was really one of the first things that came to mind for us. And, you know, you, you think about that in the construction industry, we can be seen as kind of late adopters of of technology. And so I do think we're we're kind of ripe for that disruption in the tech space. And, and COVID came in and absolutely changed the game, uh, accelerated, you know, the technology space for us significantly. And so from an adoption standpoint, the statistic that was shared was like, in e-commerce, you know, we went through a decade of change in about eight weeks. And so, you know, we were struggling. We were struggling at that point to get our technology straight, to enable this new way of working in this remote life and, you know, enabling touchless and paperless environments to keep everybody safe. Uh, but for us, it was, you know, luck being so big on innovation over the years. We had been making these technology investments, you know, really leading up to COVID. And so for us, it was it was cool that we were remarkably like prepared to make that transition. Uh, well, a lot of, of others, you know, we're struggling pretty hard to, to transition to that new way of, of doing business uh, in the pandemic. Uh, so we, we've been through a lot, but an incredibly resilient company just because of our focus on the people and I think also innovation. I would imagine like you can't really work from home if you're working at a quarry. How did you guys kind of adapt to that? Yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, you know, we do have a mix of, of talents and, and some, you know, had to learn how to leverage all the technology and work from home. But at the same time, if you have equipment operators and you have uh, mechanics and, and fabricators and, and a lot of different roles that are critically important to what we do that, that obviously, you know, can't do that work from home. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of what we did there was, you know, back to, you know, kind of Ryan's comment of just this insane focus on people and being creative and innovative. I think um, we did the best job we could of just trying to learn every day, you know, what the pandemic was, how do we keep people safe, you know, social distancing, just good practices. And, um, you know, like everybody who worked through that, you know, especially in the early, early days, I don't know that we got it right every single day, but we kept everybody safe, kept everybody healthy and, and were able to keep our operations running. But and the, the challenges that that created and the things you learned, like the, the number of things you learned that you didn't know that you didn't know, like it was like something new came up every single week that you're like, is there anything oh, yeah. else? You know, what's what's the next thing we're going to learn, you know? Like you started thinking about uh, just continuity of the business, you know. So you you think about I have all these folks coming in. I, I need I need twenty I need twenty folks on site to run the business every day. Well, if all of a sudden there's a you know the pandemic, if COVID comes in and and knocks out half the workforce, well now all of a sudden we can't take care of our customers. You know, so you started thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we take risk out of that? How do we keep everybody safe? How do we keep a social distance? How do we, how do we manage our way through that? And, uh, and I would just say that our people really, you know, everybody in the company rose to the occasion, took it in stride, viewed it as a challenge and, uh, were incredibly, uh, innovative in how we did our work and, and came out, you know, really learned a lot that's actually helping us post pandemic. That's been super valuable. So. One thing I noticed on um, your guys' website is that the company is very focused on people and igniting human potential through values-based leadership. Can you explain or elaborate on this style of leadership bit? How can listeners apply this mindset to their own? Sure. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, it's like there's a core belief that leadership's a choice. It's not a, a title. And so VBL to us is it's the belief that you know, you're going to show up your best and act in your best when you are in alignment with your core values. So the very first step there is identifying and really clarifying what those values are. So it's really a, a self-awareness act. And so our, our company values being leadership, integrity, uh, commitment, and creativity, uh, you know, high alignment to those values and those values behaviors are non-negotiable for us. So we work very hard to try and find top talent you know, that are able to live in alignment with those values and those behaviors. And so that's that's really a lot of what we filter everything 
we do. Um, it instills this sense of, I would say, responsibility and accountability, uh, not only with our formal leaders, but uh, you know, across everybody. Because when you clearly define what's important, you know, that framework uh, allows you to judge your actions and your decisions uh, to measure against. And so it, to us, it's, it's really how we operate and, and do everything. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I think about that, just to just add on what Ryan's saying, um, you know, this values-based leadership, I mean, it can be, it can be incredibly life-changing for a lot of folks. And the, the key is that it starts with looking at the mirror and looking at yourself first. Because um, a lot of times if you're getting frustrated or if you're getting stressed out or something's on your mind, or even on the flip side, if you're like really super excited about something that those those emotions drive behaviors. Those behaviors impact people, and whether you're making a conscious choice or not, whether that that impact on people is a positive one or not, like to Ryan's point, it's a choice, right? Leadership is a choice, and uh, what we found is that the the key for us to be successful is just really helping people grow into and continue to understand. That it starts with looking in the mirror and, and learning about yourself. Like, why did I have that emotion? Why was I super excited? Or why was I like really bummed? Or why was I frustrated? And not that understanding why fixes everything, but that that awareness gives you more ability to make a really good choice, right? You can begin to make conscious choices more often. And uh, that's it's really hard work. It's a lifetime's worth of work. Like we don't that in no way is this a, a culture of like perfection and ro you know being a robot and values based leadership. I mean, this is very much a journey, and um, it takes a lot of feedback. It takes a lot of just everybody supporting each other in that. Um, and we've been working on that incredibly hard now for what Ryan twenty plus years. Yeah, early early two thousands, and it's uh, it, it's really become a reason why a lot of us choose to work here. It just, it creates a pretty special place and it creates a place where you can be a better person tomorrow than you were yesterday. Yeah. We, we spend a ton of time on, on learning about yourself and like, and as an example, you know, learning what your purpose is, like, why are you here? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? Because what we, what we have found is like, when you are in alignment with your purpose, your passion and your competencies, you're going to perform at the highest level. And you're going to have greater levels of like satisfaction and well-being. So we spend a ton of time learning that about each other and ourselves because uh, we think we show up the best and our potential is ignited the most. And I think like the pandemic kind of really brought that forward. Um, you need that leadership to grow and adapt to the challenges. And like you said, um, weekly things change and you learn something new and now you got to adapt to this new way. And if you don't have the leadership to stand there and say, hey, this is what we're going to do going forward, it's just kind of get a little too chaotic. Absolutely. Right. Everyone kind of wants to know, and we did speak a little bit about trade shows and expos, and you guys went to a consumer uh, electronics a little bit. Um, everyone wants to know about the latest innovations and in construction is no different. Um, what kind of innovations is luck using right now? Um, I hear that you're using autonomous trucks at the bull run plant with collaboration with Caterpillar. Um, can you tell me about these? Absolutely. Yeah. We, Ron and I were, uh, both, uh, excited about this question. Cause this is a, this is a longtime passion for both Ryan and myself. Um, yeah, we're we're really fortunate in that we, as a company, you know, we just have a long history of innovation. We really get excited about it, and it's you know, the main reason we get so excited about innovation is it's it's a way for our folks to to achieve their wildest dreams, way for them to grow. They get access to things they would have never gotten access to before, um, and it and it undoubtedly helps progress and sophisticate our business and makes us better. Um, you know, the work at Bull Run with Caterpillar is extremely exciting. Um, we've we've been pursuing autonomy in our industry for over 10 years um, and it had some previous experiences in this space. Um, had the opportunity here recently to uh, engage more, more intentionally with Caterpillar in a project. And, and it was announced this past December. It became public. And... 
what we're going to be doing is working with Caterpillar, Caterpillar over the next several years to really develop a next-gen autonomous solution for the quarry industry. Um, and that starts with deploying the current command for hauling system that they have at over 20 operations around the world. And they've deployed it to, I think, over 500 uh, pieces of equipment globally. This is a proven technology that CAT's been using for, for a long time, for the last, at least the last decade. And uh, we get the opportunity to deploy that technology at our bull run site. Um, we're, we're hopeful that uh, come August of next year, August of 2024, we will uh, be uh, running uh, three to four autonomous trucks uh, at our bull run site uh, in collaboration with Caterpillar. And then working over the next uh, next couple of years to uh, be a partner with them and, and help help them create uh, a next gen solution that will support the, the quarry industry. What are these trucks doing? Uh, yeah, so these are our haul trucks in the pit. Uh, so our typical uh, process for quarrying starts with drilling and blasting. Uh, that then produces what we call a muck pile, right, which is a big pile of blasted rock or fragmented rock. Uh, and then from there, we have a, there's a lot of methods that folks use. We use a, uh, a large wheel loader in the face to, to dig the rock. And then we load at Bull Run 100 ton haul trucks. Uh, they're triple seven Gs. And then with those trucks, they're, the trucks are moving the material from there to our primary crusher, which is a gyratory crusher there at Bull Run. Um, so what we're doing is we're automating that process between the loader and the crusher. Is it is it kind of weird to see these trucks just drive by with no people inside of them? Uh, I think it's incredibly weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's very intimidating if you're it nearby. It is, <laughs> um, but it's it's also uh, extremely exciting, you know, for our for our people here at Luck. I mean, we'll, we're already our our teams are already getting a chance to get exposed to things that uh, never in their wildest dreams would they have had the opportunity or imagined you know, working uh, with a great partner like Caterpillar to, to do something like this. And uh, we're, we're really excited about what, what can come of this. I, I think we're, we don't know everything that we're going to learn, but we're confident we are going to learn a ton that is going to, it's going to carry over into so many aspects of our business over the next generation. So it's going to, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I'd say in addition to what we're doing with Caterpillar, there's another area that uh, on the operations side that we've, We've been putting a lot of energy and innovation, and that's uh, uh, moving into what we call uh, precision drilling and blasting. So, you know, the drilling and blasting part of our business is uh, is critically important and something that, as a company, we take tremendous care into. Just because it's a, it's a, uh, I mean, you're, we're working with explosives, and we're incredibly community minded, and we do this in a way that that takes a lot of care and making sure that we do this at the highest level of excellence to to uh, have an efficient operation and and to do it with a with a with a very uh, a thoughtful mind towards any you know community impacts and um, over the last I would say over the last five years the technology in the drilling and blasting arena has has progressively become more and more sophisticated to where now through the use of GPS things like uh, what we call digital detonators and blasting. Um, and also with the use of drones and more sophisticated com computer technology and, and, and software programming, we have the ability now to model uh, our drilling and blasting uh, activities in three dimensions in a computer with a high degree of accuracy, you know, in a very reliable way where we can then do our design work differently than we've ever done before, where traditionally it was paper and pencil and a lot of you know, field fit, kind of looking at things in the field with a variety of measurement devices. Um, we're really progressing to sort of the next gen of that, where instead of using lasers in the field to identify, you know, what the rock profile looks like and where the hole needs to be located to, to really, you know, use the explosives most efficiently. Now we can use a drone, capture 3D imagery of the whole face, bring it into a computer, load the location of the hole, load our our, our loading plan for the hole in the computer and really get a, a solid sense of how we're going to optimize the use of explosives and do it safely. 
and then have the ability to take all that out into the field and actually build it as it was laid out in the computer because we have the benefit of high precision drilling with GPS and and good uh, directional control over the drill. So it allows us to design in the field or actually build in the field exactly what we design in the computer and the uh, the benefits to both you know productivity, safety, and just better use of resources is tremendous. And that's another arena, right, where our blasters are having the opportunity to grow and learn and do things differently. Our drillers are having the opportunity to get exposed to things they never got exposed to before. So it's just another example of sophisticating the business in a, in a pretty exciting way. You know, with a background of mining engineering, that's a that's a pretty exciting thing to have an off. Those are the things you dreamed about when you were in school, and now you're getting a chance to actually uh, play around with it in the dirt. And then uh, I know Ryan probably has some things to share. There's a lot of things some, on other aspects of our business that uh, we're pretty excited about as well. Yeah, I mean, just just real quick, um, he mentioned drones. We have a very sophisticated drone program. Uh, so doing safety inspections, stockpile volumes. Uh, pit planning, and as he mentioned, helping with the the blasting. Uh, we're doing a lot of innovations in the data space, so providing more and more data to our associates to aid in the data-driven decision-making. We're experimenting in some predictive analytics use cases. Um, also in the logistics space, man, we're doing live delivery tracking, which is still pretty unique for our industry. Um, we're still one of the few out there where you can actually order a dump truck load of stone through an app, and it'll show up the same day. Uh, so it's still pretty unique to us in that space. And then we're also experimenting. We do a lot of experimentation. So in the AI space, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. So we're trying to to stay in touch with all the new technologies that are on their way. Wow. Wow. We really are kind of like at a bleeding edge of technology in the construction industry. You, you mentioned it's the slow integration, but that pandemic kind of really amped things up. And here we are, it, things are just changing. And uh, Almost every single time I speak to somebody, they're trying something new. And here you guys are, you know, utilizing drones. And I don't think 20 years ago, anybody would even think about, hey, let's throw a plane in the air to kind of predict on how much stone we got. What kind of drones are you guys using? I would say it's a, I mean, it's a combination of fixed wing drones. Yeah. I would, I don't know the exact make and models, but I have some, pictures of them if you're interested. Some pretty, some pretty high end <laughs> quadcopter drones that are uh, uh, pretty. I've gotten to fly them. They, they fly at like, I mean, you can fly them at 60, 70 miles an hour and carbon fiber frames and can carry a pretty good payload. Um, and then uh, we're also, you know, utilizing, beginning to utilize more just sort of entry level. You know, I would say, you know, drones that you could say, but like a like a TDI drone or something you could buy off of uh, Amazon for just really simple flights. And we're, we're, you know, really one of the things that is, you know, one of the barriers we learned early on is just uh, making sure that folks are drone certified and they get their drone pilot's license. So, you know, that that's one of the things that we've been working really hard on is trying to get more and more of our uh, folks that, that need to use them as a tool, you know, trying to, you know, make sure they... Uh, have the opportunity to to get that licensure so that they can uh, fly them with the uh, with the right certifications. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of one of my favorite drone stories. Uh, this is before there were certifications required to do such. Uh, but I I remember literally uh, buying buying the drone. Our team had gotten a drone, and there were no cameras on them at this point, and they're like duct taping an iPhone to the bottom to like film. And so I just that's that's one of the things I've always loved about this place is like we'll we'll try something, we're willing to take risk and. Uh, you know, just super creative and innovative, you know, and then a couple of years later, you can't buy a drone without a camera. So yeah, it's just cool. Definitely. Yeah. We were doing do... that before drones were cool. Yeah, exactly. So while drones are great, um, they are definitely a force multiplier, if you will. Um, have you guys been impacted by the skilled labor issues that the pandemic and like the 10 years of skilled labor issues, everybody else is experiencing right now? Yeah, we're not, uh, certainly we're not unique and different in that we're not exposed to the the challenges with the the changes in the labor force. Um, you know, the, the good news in this is that, you know, we're still really fortunate to have brought in a lot of really good people into our business. Um, but the number of folks that have retired with 20 and 30, and in some cases, 40 years of experience on their, what we call it on their hard hat. We have stickers on our hard hats. Um, so for the number of folks that have retired with that much experience, 
it has been a significant challenge, you know, bringing new folks into the business, many of which, you know, didn't grow up working on farms and they didn't grow up working on, you know, tractors and and kind of being hands-on or, or knowing how to run as much of our equipment as, as maybe in the past. We've, we found folks that were just had more experiences growing up that, that were transferable to what we do. Um, and this has been happening over the last 10 years, but certainly in the last five to six has been a significant uh, uh, force impact in our business, you know, to where, you know, I don't have exact numbers, but if you think about our, our frontline associates that, that are the heart and soul of what we do every day, um, it's somewhere around 50 to 60% of those associates have only been in our company now for five years or less. Oh, wow. uh, and a lot of those folks are coming with, you know, and sometimes are often, you know, really strong digital skills. Like they can do amazing things from a digital standpoint, but in terms of the technical training and the the things that they need to know and learn to, to first and foremost, stay safe. And then also to, you know, help run our business, you know, really effectively and serve our customers, but then also, you know, to be able to build the foundational skills, to be able to grow in their career. Um, what we've done as a response is we, we've made a significant investment in technical training. Um, in addition to the investment we've always had around you know, our training program on the Ignite Human Potential and the values-based leadership side, you know, we, we provide that, that we provide the human training to all associates. You know, so everybody goes through core values and how to give feedback and how to become the best version of me. Like everybody in our company goes through that training ongoing throughout your career. What we've added is a substantial investment in our technical training program to where now we have a, we have a really robust system that has uh, a growing set of what we call competency models that provide a lot of clarity around what you need to know and be able to demonstrate to do your job well. And then in support of those competency models, we have a technical training staff where we offer 60 to 70 classes throughout the year. Um, we have coaches that spend their time out in the field one-on-one -on -one with uh, cohorts of associates. And then we measure everyone's progress around their, their competency growth annually. Um, and we've really started to connect the dots between investing in people's technical competency growth and the ability for, uh, for them to live into their potential at our company. There's such a strong connection there. Um, and then lastly, you know, we're starting to do a lot of work with apprentices and apprenticeship models and trying to bring in high school students to train in our training facilities, bringing in high school students as apprentices. We're going to try that for the first time next year, you know, where we have two high school students that they go to school, say, two days a week and come here three days a week. And then the next week they go to school three days a week and then they come here two days a week and they'll we'll wrap our whole technical training program around them. Um, and uh, we've actually got one intern that's going to start in our group this summer and uh, he's interested in engineering, but he's a, he's a high school junior, you know, which is awesome. Um, that's so cool. we're, we're having to do things very differently than we've done in the past. Um, but honestly, I think we're going to be better on the other side of this for it. Uh, I think we're actually going to build, you know, uh, a, a stronger bench of talent that that'll push this company, you know, beyond where we've been. So it's pretty exciting. Brian, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, ours ours is a little bit of a different problem because it's not that the skills aren't out there. I think in the in the tech space, it's like the skills are out there. The problem has been finding the people, and such with such a low unemployment rate. The biggest change for us is that we've had to lean a lot heavier on recruiters uh, to help find top talent. And you're finding top talent that kind of already have jobs. And so one of the one of the great things about this place is our culture is like a really good recruiting tool. So it's like to entice people to want to make a change and come work here. Um, our culture is is one of the best uh, things that we have to do that. Uh, it's changing a little bit now with you're seeing some more layoffs in the tech space, um, and then the great resignation seems to be uh, continuing. But our our biggest problem in the the labor department has been finding talent. The great resignation. I haven't heard that, but that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people changing jobs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All those, uh, all the retired uh, experience that's, it's just leaving the workforce. Um, 
I hate to I hate to toot media's horn, but like that's where you can take all that experience and you start like training everybody else towards it. You just write an article. This is what I've learned. Um, I think that's where all of these publications and all these websites can really be helpful is you can impart your education that way. That's a great idea, Jonathan. You know, in yeah. addition to that, we've we've tried to uh, and we've started to have some success success with being able to to reconnect with retirees that that may want to come train a class for a few yeah. hours every couple of months. Um, or we haven't experimented with this yet, but like come back and do a lunch and learn, or just come back and just spend a little bit of time mentoring some of our folks. Oh yeah, uh, you know, it gives. We're finding in some instances for the right person, you know, it really gives them some some purpose and and could be a great connection. And I think it's something we've just started talking about, but in addition to, I think it's a great idea around writing articles and somehow documenting that wisdom. Cause there's no, you can't replace it, you know, and it's so hard to extract. It just takes time. Definitely. How has luck handled the material shortages and price increases? That's a really good question that we should have added that to our list of challenges based on the pandemic and, and oh uh, the Ukraine war. <laughs> um, I think for the entire construction industry, we are not immune or unique in that uh, we've had all of those challenges. Um, and honestly, the way we've worked through those, and we have been very successful with working through those, it has not been easy. Um, the way we work through those is first and foremost, um, similar to how we think about our company and our, and, you know, we just have such focus on our people. We have the same orientation towards our vendors and the folks that support us. Uh, we have incredibly deep relationships that go back a long way. Um, we have worked so closely with them and even, you know, in some instances partnered with them on parts and supply inventory on ways to get really creative to to try to ensure that uh, we didn't run out. Uh, so certainly we've had to invest more in parts and supply inventory. We've also had to get significantly smarter in parts and supply inventory. So our the level of visibility we have today into what we consume and kind of what the supply chain looks like within each one of those parts of which there are thousands and thousands of things that we need, you know, every day to run the business. Uh, we've just had to become incredibly more sophisticated in that space. And, and really lean on partnerships, great relationships. And um, and then also with the equipment that we run every day, we've had to get smarter about how to run the equipment in a way that we're not tearing it up. You know, we're, we're trying to preserve what we have and make sure we're getting the most life out of it. So there's a lot of elements to, to the question you asked, and it's been a <laughs> say a significant area of focus for certainly the last three or four years. It's another example where, you know, no different than the 08 recession that I remember going through. Whenever you get these significant challenges like the pandemic, like the supply chain shortage, um, we always come out stronger every single time. It's painful and there's a lot of headaches and a lot of stress getting through it, but but we always double down. We sophisticate the business. We become smarter about what we do. And um, everything we've done in response to the supply chain is going to make us better you know, even when the supply chain's back to normal, which we are seeing some improvements in that space, which is great. What is your outlook for the rest of the year of 2023 and into 2024? Yeah, it's probably short and sweet for me, but I'm I'm feeling good about 23. I think a lot lot more optimism in this year. 24 uh, becomes a little bit more of a wild card for me. Um, I feel like we've been talking recession and downturn for so long, and it's kind of it's uh we've avoided it thus far and so it still feels like something's out there something's got to give but it's like who knows it's so hard to predict but one one thing i have seen is like it it seems like it's it, the economy is more fragile uh hmm. and so you know something could happen that sends us down or we could keep going strong so I'd, it's so it's so tough to predict but i'm feeling good about this year i can say that do you do you think the infrastructure bill uh, once those monies and that's funding will actually start hitting the real world. Um, do you think that will help at all? I think it will help. It certainly would help us. We've got a little bit of a lag time on that from once it's passed to like 12 to 18 months before we start seeing any volumes from it. 
Um, And so to me, like that could help if there was some sort of downturn in 24. I think that would certainly help us in our in our industry. Yeah, Jonathan, the other thing that's that's interesting, I I agree with Ryan, we feel good about 23, 24 is a is a question mark. And there's scenarios where it could be up or down. Um, What's what's interesting, in addition to the infrastructure bill, is just the amount of investment that's that's happening in the broader economy around. You just think about the number of electric vehicle uh, plants that are being uh, built right now, uh, the number of battery factories, the changes in just logistics and supply chain and warehousing, the investments in solar, the investments in wind. You know, it just seems like there's the, a level of investment in in areas of the economy that we that we haven't really experienced in our past, and uh, I think we're still learning about that. You know, and what does that mean to the long term? What does that mean to the next three or four or five years? Um, I think it's something we're we're anxious to keep learning more about and and seeing how that plays out. And I think too, like the, a lot of that investment is occurring in the markets that we're serving. So that also increases the confidence a little bit because there's just a lot of growth activity in the, in the Southeast uh, and Mid-Atlantic. So that that definitely is making us feel better as well. I wanted to keep this one question for last um, because it's a big question uh, and I'm certain everybody else is listening to this. They, they want to know with 100 years in business, what's the secret to success? What would be your advice to construction professionals listening? I can go. I'll go. Uh, I mean, we've, we've been all over this. I think the, the, the whole uh, interview here and it's, it's people, you know, focus on your people, your care for your people. You take care of them. They're going to take care of you. And so I think that has been key to our success. The other one to me was purpose. You know, our mission of igniting human potential, that gives us such a purpose, you know, coming into work every day uh, and being able to live out that mission here uh, beyond just crushing the rock. So I think purpose is key. And then we've, we have spent a lot of, of time on secession and, and preparing for leadership transitions. And so I think, you know, one of the biggest reasons we're making it to the fourth gen is because of how much emphasis we put on developing the next generation of leaders uh, to be ready to step into those roles when the time comes. And I actually think Travis and I are both uh, examples of that and the work that was done in the secession space uh, for the company. Uh, so if, if, if you're asking me what advice would I give, um, you know, I think where you choose to work is one of the most important decisions that a person makes in their lifetime. And so I think picking a place where it's like you can live in alignment with your purpose, your passion, and your competencies, I think that is going to lead to the greatest sense of well-being and the highest performance possible for you. Uh, and so if that's not the case uh, for where you're at currently, I'd strongly recommend finding some place where you could find that. Yeah, the only thing I would add is um, how is it, the amount, of, the amount of discipline and passion and commitment that our company has to investing, I mean, literally investing time, energy, money, into the three things Ryan just mentioned, you know, the amount of time and intentionality that's poured into our purpose, our mission, the amount of time that's poured into our people and developing people and finding good people, you know, growing talent, providing opportunities, and then just being super intentional about succession. Um, you know, the, the amount of time that we invest in that and, I mean, it's a it's a significant part of I know Ryan and I's role and, and many others here in the company. And it's it's probably what we talk about the most. And and I think because of that, and we've been doing that for a long, long time, um, that uh, I think that continued just uh, high commitment towards those 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 things is uh, critically important. So makes it makes it an incredibly fun place to work. Yeah, it does sound like it sounds like a great place to work. Is it? Is it strange to think that as you're driving around your area and you're seeing like older buildings that the original founders work is somewhere inside? Pretty humbling. (laughs) Very, very humbling. And then your work that you just did yesterday is going to stand there for 100 more years. 
You think about all the all the bridges you drive over, all the libraries you go into, the the churches you attend, you name it, school buildings. Right. Um, somewhere, you know, there's at least in our in our area, certainly here in the Richmond and Northern Virginia areas. You, know, you just think about the number of associates that have come through our company over the last hundred years. I don't know what that number is. It's a large number of people and just all the, the little thumbprints that exist out there. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah. A huge impact and a great legacy. It's it's really cool. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to to add before we go? Yeah, I would just encourage, you know, in terms of, you know, folks listening to the podcast, the um the opportunity that we all have to keep pushing the construction industry around, you know, I think the construction industry at large has always had a really strong people ethic. And I think continuing to focus on that is so, so critical. Um, the number of relationships and the value of relationships in our industry is extremely high. <clears throat> and then just, we have this huge opportunity to innovate our industry. Um, and like you said, you know, we're, we're kind of at this uh, bleeding edge or tipping point. And yeah. uh, it's going to be really exciting to see where that goes over the next uh over the next decade, because there's yeah. not one that there aren't many of us in the industry that are big enough to sort of be the catalyst for all that change. It takes all of us working together, I think, to make that successful. Yeah, and to grind away at the I future, just, if you will. Yeah, I just think the, the <laughs> to encourage folks to keep pushing, pushing the envelope, experiment and trying new things is uh, I think it's going to inspire people. It's going to attract people to the industry that maybe didn't think about our industry to begin with. And um you know, it's critical to the future of the country that this industry remains extremely strong. And uh, I think we all play a part in that. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, you both, for your time and speaking with us today. Thank, thank you, Dalton. Yeah. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That about does it for this episode. I'd like to thank Travis and Ryan once again for taking the time to talk with us. And thank you for listening. You can find Luck Companies online at www.luckcompanies.com and their history at www.luckcompanies100.com. This has been the Digging Deeper podcast by 4constructionpros.com. You can find this episode and more on Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Megaphone, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, if you keep listening, we'll keep digging. We'll keep digging.